Monday, Monday afternoon, theologian. Bender, 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 bender. I'm bendering. I can tell. <laughs> hey, have you heard how people can lob a softball question at somebody so that it's real easy for them to knock it out of the park? I have heard about that. Well, I'm going to talk about something that's not related to that. <laughs> okay. It's kind of related because it involves the term softball, but it's not related to a softball question. It's just something about softball. I've noticed that passions tend to boil over at sporting events, including softball of all things. And you'd think softball is such a soft, easy game. We're just there to enjoy the fun with each other. It's all about the sport. Let's have a great time. Why can't we just get along? But passions arise. Yeah, people do get passionate about softball. Just recently, both you and I were somewhat ecstatic when our alma mater, Grand Canyon, took it out of UCLA in the women's tournament. UCLA at the time ranked second in the nation, and Little Grand Canyon came up and popped a home run to win the game. And we both thought, that was pretty cool. Let's all have a cheer for GCU. Yeah, formerly GCC, as we knew it at the time, mm -hmm. but now moving into the bigger ranks. Uh, speaking of softball, I remember a particular summer, and I'd like to share a couple of quick stories about that summer. Ooh, ooh, yes, share away, share away. It was co-ed church league that we were playing in, and it was at best a C league, um, but we had a good time. And I remember one particular day, the team was essentially made up of people from the same Sunday school class. Uh -huh. And the wife of the Sunday school teacher and I were chatting the day of the game. And she said, well, we're going to be at the game tonight. So hit a home run for me. And I thought, well, it doesn't happen often. But if I do, it'll be for you. And I remember I got a nice pitch and I smacked it right between two outfielders. And since this particular field didn't have a fence, oh. the ball just kept rolling and rolling and and it was right in between them, so there was a lot of space, and they had a long way to go, and I circled the base for, I can't really say an inside-the-park home run, because it wasn't really a park since there was no fence in the back. Uh, I got done with that, and I just sort of pointed at her and said that for you. And we had a good time, and we were, you know, pretty good. We, we actually won that league that we were in, and there was a state tournament for church teams. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there were no classifications for this particular tournament. And so in the first round, we were up against an A-League team oh. in a park that had a fence. Oh. And before long, it was pretty obvious that we were so far outclassed that we were probably going to get run-ruled by about the second inning. <laughs> because every time we got or they got up to bat, they were just poking balls over the fence. It was just a comedy of error. We just looked up and watched the ball fly over the fence a number of times. Mm -hmm. And before long, the game was over and we were done for the season. But what a great fun time you had during that season. We yeah. did. That's amazing. Yes, I would say that probably the most recent co-ed league that I witnessed, it's not a church league, it's actually a city league. But there is a church that plays in that league. And this is not a sea league. It's like 20,000 leagues under the sea. I see. So it's not a particularly based on talent? No. It's like, do you have a mitt? Yes. 
you're in. They were having a game the other night, and apparently there was not just a bad call, but a really bad call from this ref. And anybody looking in, including some of the opponents, said, that's a terrible call. And things got a little heated, and it was not usual for that team to have shouting matches. Usually they're very well behaved, and they have a lot of fun. But sometimes things happen, and it gets rough. But they calmed down. Calm words were exchanged. The very next week, that same person who got a little bit ruffled apologized for his actions. And he said, I was over the top. I need to throttle it back. Let's have fun. Sorry about that. We're here to just have fun because clearly we're not here to win a lot of games. (laughs) (laughs) And the very next week they did. They had a lot of fun. But that reminded me of a story that I witnessed when I was about 10 years old because my dad was on a church league and he slid into third on a very dusty Phoenix, Arizona field. Got a nice strawberry on his leg from sliding on that hard caliche clay. But when he did that, everybody who was there could clearly see that his foot hit the bag a good solid one second before the ball hit the third baseman's mitt. But the only umpire they had was behind home plate. And because of all the hubbub and people between his line of sight and third base and the dust, he called my dad out. And all of the team from my dad started to empty out of the dugout and come onto the field. And it was about to become a real brouhaha. And my dad put up his hand and said, wait a minute, stop. And everybody looked at him and he said, there's something far more important than winning a game at stake here. If he called me out, I'm out. And he walked to the dugout to get his mitt so he could take his place on the field for the next part of the inning. And everybody else just had their jaws dropped and they looked at him like, I've never seen that before. It was a great display of self-control. And it became a convicting force for others, too, which I saw as being pretty powerful. And so that's why all this talk about softball actually plays into our topic for today, which is the ninth quality of the fruit of the spirit known as self-control. Self-control. So we probably would think that there's a basis for this attribute of self-control, and we probably will not be surprised to find out that it's in Galatians 5.23 since we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit now for nine times. And what we see in that verse is the last two elements of the fruit of the Spirit Mm -hmm. are gentleness and self-control. Self-control. And the verse finishes with, against such things there is no law. Love that. Never seen a cop pull you over for too much (laughs) self-control. Nope, never have. And what we see in some of these scriptures that pop up when you do a search about self-control are several themes and sub-themes. So let's look at a few of those. The first one that we see is that self-control is an attribute of holiness or godliness. Some might call it righteousness, which means in a right relationship with God. And unsurprisingly, there's a biblical proverb that poetically describes how holiness and a right relationship with God is affected by a lack of self-control. And mm-hmm. we find it in the 25th chapter of Proverbs, and it's verse 28, which reads, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Well, that gives you a mental picture, doesn't it? It makes you feel like you're looking at an old ruin back in Israel, maybe uh, Jericho or something. 
Joshua fits the battle of Jericho. You know that. Well, when we fail at self-control, there becomes a chink in our armor, or in this proverb, a hole in the wall surrounding our heart. And when we continually fail at self-control, that hole just gets knocked larger and larger until pretty soon the enemy has entrance and they can just enter our lives and wreak havoc. But on the positive side, when we allow the Holy Spirit to develop this self-control within us, it helps us maintain a close relationship with God. And this attribute of holiness is seen much more readily in us. Yes, indeed it is. And Paul, the apostle, recognizes how easily these passions can overtake us when we lose self-control, and especially when it comes to even our own bodies, physical self-control. Uh, he spoke quite a bit about that in his teachings and writings. And as we've seen throughout these podcasts, we're aware that God gave us all of our passions for good reason. They're there because they're a blessing to us when we are pleasing him with those passions by maintaining the boundaries that he's established for us. So as long as those passions are within the fireplace, so to speak, it's a good thing. But when a fire gets outside the fireplace, not so great. And these passions, including physical passions, when they are let loose, when they take us outside of God's boundaries, there are some very serious consequences for our lack of self-control. In fact, Paul teaches us in 1 Thessalonians 4.4 4, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. So we see that believers evidence a transformation by God as they begin to allow God's spirit to develop this self-control over unhealthy physical passions. These can include any excessive passion or addiction that takes us away from God's holiness. We can also see how the lack of self-control shows up in leaders who get power hungry. And don't we see that a lot today? And here's a proverb that can be taken both metaphorically and literally. We find it in Proverbs 16, verse 32. Better a patient person than a warrior, one who is self-controlled than one who takes a city. Self-control. In many cities and countries, we see a very destructive cycle of one bully kicking out another bully to take a place of leadership. You know, they'll promise peace but they deliver nothing but escalating conflict. Leaders who are able to exercise self-control, and by extension, the other qualities that make up the fruit of the Spirit, mm -hmm. we see that they're able to lead a long season of peace, as we've seen in both the history of Israel and in different countries in the world where godly leadership is highly valued. Oh, that's a good point. And I've seen evidence, even firsthand, about that bully kicking out another bully because I did a quick teaching mission trip to Zimbabwe a few years ago. That was previously the country known as Rhodesia. And then they had one bully that kicked out that bully. But the new bully that came in offered peace and prosperity, and he wound up just ruining the country again, as it had been ruined the first time around. So you're exactly right. We see it time and time again. And we also see how on a much more microcosmic level, self-control is seen as a, an attribute of a healthy married couple. This is another biblical theme related to self-control. We see that in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. He's saying, do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent. And for a time, he, he's talking about married couples here, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 
Paul says that Christian spouses should not deprive one another of the things that caring couples give to one another as an expression of love and care. So when one spouse, either the husband or the wife, is deprived, that can be an emotional de deprivation as well, it's like a break in that wall around our heart, and the enemy can slip in and tempt that person to start placing their affection somewhere else or with somebody else. Yeah, and don't we see that in society in so many ways? Yeah. Now, the Bible also shows us, it's God's grace that shows us by example how to develop self-control. One of the things that we can take from this is if self-control is lacking, then it can be developed. It's not one of those things that you either have it or you don't. It's something that if you're open to it, you will be able to develop it in all of the different areas that we're going to be talking about today. Mm -hmm. So it, that is the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And we find that in Titus 2. I love that. It's so good that the grace of God is that teacher for us. It's amazing how that works. Uh, once we've been recipients of grace, it's a whole lot easier to give grace to others. And Paul shows us how self-control factors into someone else's life if they are single and they're having a hard time controlling their passions. He says, 1 Corinthians 7, 9, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. We can see from Paul how these passions are good, but only when they stay within the boundaries that God established for them. Yeah, I guess those boundaries are key. You know, we see a lot of people say, oh, I don't, don't really want to live the Christian life because, you know, I'm not able to do all of these things, but they don't really understand that all of those suggestions, laws, commandments, all of those things are really there for our benefit. Yeah. So let's take a look at another theme mm -hmm. that is related to self-control. And this one has to do with how believers control their speech. Mm -hmm. One of the most quoted verses out of the Bible we find in James 3, yeah. those first 12 verses. And it can be summed up with, the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. It can steer the whole animal. Or like a ship's rudder, it can steer the whole ship. Taming the tongue or learning to control our speech through self-control becomes an evidence of our spiritual maturity. Oh, boy, can't it ever. <laughs> and uh, I struggled with that back in high school because God had to clean up my mouth a little bit when I was with some of my friends and I was being like a chameleon and I would use the kind of language they were using because I wanted to be accepted. And I think he's done a very good job with that. I struggle far less with that now than I did back at that age. But I know some people have a hard time cleaning up their speech. We see how leaders are held to a, a higher level of accountability than followers, because when they teach, even through their example of self-control or, or lack thereof, their teaching affects so many other people. You know, we see this when Paul was working with one of his protégés, and that would be Timothy. Mm -hmm. He's writing to Timothy, and he says, now an overseer, or what we might call an elder, someone who is a respected leader within the church, mm -hmm. the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, self-control, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. There we go. There's that self-control. And it factors into teaching and being respectful to other people, faithful to his wife. All this stuff factors in. 
in this past several years, I have hated to open my email because almost every week, it seemed like for a, a time, there were articles about well-known church leaders who were exhibiting lack of self-control, and it was causing them to lose their credibility. And they were fired, several of them, big-time leaders. Many church leaders forget that they have to set the example by exercising self-control, including even how they lead others and how they speak to other people. Yeah, the, uh, the list of things that a church leader should be or the characteristics they should have is quite lengthy, and it should not be entered into lightly. Mm -mm. And you know that at some point, those leaders were deemed qualified to be in those positions, and yet their own passions or the enemy got a hold of them, and the next thing you know, they've fallen out of that position. Well, let's take a look at another theme. Self-control, as seen by a lawless person, can be a convicting witness. One example of that we see is when Paul gave a defense of his faith, and the powerful Roman governor named Felix was the one who was listening to him as he made that defense. Acts 24, as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. So you can see that he was getting a little bit convicted by the Holy Spirit as Paul was revealing this truth. Now, he may not have known where that sense of conviction was coming from, but for all of us, we have a deep sense of right and wrong. God put it in us when he created us. When someone shares the truth about God, there is something deep within that's powerful and convicting. Even if the truth is something that we want to ignore or suppress, we have to respond to it. You know, I remember very well the first time I was hit with the gospel. It was convicting. I knew from what was being laid out for me that my sense of right and wrong was being tweaked. And I knew that the wrong was convicting me. And I had to respond to that as well. Boy, good point. That's so true. And you're right. Uh, God really has placed that sense of right and wrong within each of us. It's kind of that innate thing. And so our spirit responds to his spirit when truth is being shared. Well, we also see because of that, that self-control becomes a big part of that transformation process, which is a lifetime thing for a believer. That's the sanctification that the Bible calls it because we're being set apart or made holy as God is holy. So it's a transformation that happens incrementally, one little step at a time. And self-control is one of the things that helps us do that. As we exercise this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, it becomes an important step toward godliness. So when we practice self-control, we just keep placing ourselves under that flowing stream of the Holy Spirit who's pouring his character qualities of Jesus into our lives. It's not like we can somehow develop this attribute with our own self-will and our own moral strength because we're morally bankrupt apart from Christ. We exercise spiritual discipline like self-control so that we're putting ourselves in close enough proximity to the Spirit of God, and that way He's the one doing the work of transformation in us. So self-control as a spiritual discipline is not something we manufacture. It's so that He can do the work of transformation in our hearts. Isn't it amazing how all of these things come from Him? I mean, these are aspects mm -hmm. of the attributes of God. And he wants to see those develop in each of us. 
but he's the one who brings it about. He's the yeah. one who has the power to develop all of the aspects of the fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And isn't it interesting how all nine of them overlap? We see how they're interacting with each other all the time. Mm-hmm. So when you're self-controlled, it's easier to be patient or joyful to express goodness to others. It's easier to be gentle in response to others. And all those qualities add up to Christ-like faithfulness so that we can remain steady and steadfast in our caring for others and to show them Christ, even when they aren't necessarily reciprocating any of those. We can see why Paul referred to all nine of these qualities as one fruit. That's good. The Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. So we see it's, it's what we're striving for all of the various aspects are developed in us, the qualities that make us more like Christ, that bring us closer to him every day. I love it. I guess you could almost say that because there are so many different colors of this fruit and flavors that you can just taste the rainbow. When, <laughs> when you're minute, getting... I feel still falling from the sky. <laughs> uh, it is a multifaceted, multi-flavorful fruit because of all nine of those aspects that we've been talking about this season. And they just really do make your life so much more flavorful to other people, too. Well, as we wrap up this season about the fruit of the Spirit, we would like to invite you, dear listener, to share a story or two with us about how you have seen the fruit of the Spirit displayed in real life. Maybe you're the one that was being worked upon. Maybe the Holy Spirit started to change you in some way, and you recognized, oh, as I displayed this particular aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, this was a positive result. We'd love to hear that. Maybe it was the other way around and you were the recipient of some great fruit because you saw that displayed to you by a fellow believer. And that made a big impact on your life. We would love to hear your true story. So please send us your story about the fruit of the spirit. And you can send that to us via email at mondayafternoontheologians at gmail.com. We would definitely like to, you know, hear your stories, and perhaps your story has to do with coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. because of something that we've talked about in this season or even a previous season. And if you haven't started that relationship, this would be a good time. And uh, Clark is going to model a prayer that you can use to enter into the kingdom of heaven through a relationship with his son, Jesus. We do this just about every time we get together, because we feel like we don't know who might be listening, who has not taken that step yet. And so for many of you, if you have been a believer, maybe even for years, this becomes a little bit repetitious, perhaps. But we always recognize that it's that one time, just that one right time when somebody hears it and they think, oh man, I want to respond to that truth that has been a convicting factor in my life. And I want this fruit to be developed in my life. And so we're going to give you a prayer, a model prayer for how you can start that process. It could be something as simple as saying this kind of prayer. God, I do want you to develop this kind of fruit, the fruit of your spirit in my life so that I can become more and more like Jesus. I recognize that life is better for those who follow Christ as he continues to transform them to become more like him. And I want to really walk on his path. And in order to do that, I recognize that I am a sinner. I need his forgiveness. And so I confess my sin to you. 
I pray that you'll forgive me of that sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I pray that you will be my guide to help me along that path as I look into your word and as I share in worship and Bible study and prayer and some of these other spiritual disciplines with other people who are also on that path, because I recognize that you are bringing me into your family. You're adopting me as you accept me as your child. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the transformation that you promise to bring about in my heart and life. And I know that you have promised to do that until the time when I get to see you face to face one day. And I thank you for that too. And so guide the rest of my life. And I'm looking forward to eternity, which you also promised to me. So thank you for all of that. Thank you for the many, many benefits that you offer me when I follow Christ. And when life gets tough, I pray that you'll come alongside me and that I can trust you to get me through that, knowing that I'm not alone in going through the trials of this life. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, and it's highly likely that some of our fellow theologians, like each of us, have been convicted about our falling short in one or all of these various areas. All of the fruit of the Spirit have not been shining brightly in our lives, even in these past few weeks as we've been talking about it. Yeah. So maybe we should pray a prayer of encouragement for our fellow theologians who are needing it right this minute. Let's do that. I've had to say that kind of prayer personally uh, quite uh, often. Me too. So quite yes, often. let's quite often. So let's uh, let's keep praying with each other and for each other about that very thing. And you could say something kind of like this. God, I recognize that because this transformation process involves dying to self, and there's a lot of self to, to have to be killed off, so to speak, metaphorically speaking, of course. But I thank you that if I identify with you because of your death on a cross for me, that I can trust you to keep forgiving me, that each time I blow it, each time I have a lack of self-control or a lack of some of the other fruit in this uh, fruit of the Spirit, that you're so quick to meet me in my confession, when I just confess to you what you already know, and that you're right there to forgive me and to cleanse me and to give me a clean slate and to pick me up and dust me off and set me back on the right path again. And I pray for that right now. I know that there have been times when I haven't been very self-controlled and when I haven't been very patient or kind and that the goodness can sort of leak. <laughs> and so I need to get that pumped up again. Thank you for doing all that that you continue to work in my life through your spirit. I pray that you'll keep doing that. And I thank you that it's an ongoing process and that you don't give up on the process. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Wrapping up season six. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks or so, we're going to do season seven. Some things that I think will be very encouraging. And I think that we're going to see some very practical and encouraging and inspiring stories coming out of the next season. So we do invite you to come back next time as we begin that new season, fellow theologians. Join us next time for another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, Afternoon Theologians. 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 Theologians.